0: Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. You'll find the uh, notes for this morning's message in the uh, bulletin. And as we draw near to God's Word, I just would remind you that it is a fearful and serious thing to come and read and hear God's Word. For God, through His Word, gives life, gives light. But He also warns that to whom much is given, much is required. And so, if we come in the wrong hearts and the wrong minds, rather than blessing, we can reap a judgment as we sit under God's Word. So let's pray. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel in Psalm 119, a man who wrote Scripture, found the need to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wondrous things in Your Word. And that's that's my prayer this morning. As we look at these few verses, Luke 11, 33-36, that God would give us eyes of faith. You give the increase that would be for our blessing, for our life. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize the flesh is unable wow. to to grasp, to understand, to approve of, to delight in You and Your Word. We need Your Spirit. We need You to give us eyes. We need You to unstop our ears. We need You to soften our hearts. We need You to speak life and light into our hearts so that we might behold the glory that is in Your Word. And so, Lord, I pray that You would do that, that Your Spirit would enlighten us, that Your Word would become alive to us, that be food for us, and that Seeing ourselves in the mirror, we would not walk away and quickly forget what we see, but that we would be effectual doers of what you reveal for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading our text this morning Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar. Or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, is when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, this paragraph, these four short verses, comprise the end of an extended discourse in Luke chapter 11. If you remember, we've been working through this over the last four or five weeks. It began back in verse 14 and 15 as Jesus casts a mute demon out of the man. And even though the crowd, we are told, wondered and marveled in verse 14, two Different responses emerge now from the crowd. In verse 15, some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And we looked at that. The, the, the foolishness, the self-contradiction, the hypocrisy of such a charge. Jesus ultimately saying it's dishonest. You know perfectly well what you're seeing. You know perfectly well what it says about me. You just don't like it. Pharaoh's sorcerers understood. You do as well. Then he proceeds to warn them, to warn them about the dangers of not having him come and take residence in their hearts. Then last week, Greg Rolak exposited verses 29 through 32, and we looked at the answer Jesus gives to those who are seeking a sign. And, And the ultimate judgment is in verse 29. This generation is an evil generation. Why? It seeks for a sign. And this, this section marks the beginning of the contamination of the resistance to Jesus to the crowds, to the masses, to the hoi polloi. It's been localized up to this point in the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees starting in Luke chapter 5. When Jesus goes to the dinner party at Levi's house and the scribes begin to grumble and Jesus forgives the sins of the man let down through the roof and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to grumble, but this is the first time we've seen it spread to the everyday folk. And Jesus' declaration that this generation is evil means that this problem is systemic. Not localized to this area. Sure, there are exceptions, but in general, by and large, this is Israel's condition and this is why though they herald Him, and though they gather by the thousands and thousands, so much so that in chapter 12, verse 1, they're trampling one another. They would cry out for His blood. They are an evil generation. Well, this last four verses caps off that section. And it represents a a warning call. If you look in verse 35, the only actual command is given. Be careful. Be careful. That's so why I've titled it this morning. Beware then how you see. And if you are reading this passage, you you may hear echoes of a previous passage in Luke. T- turn back to Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight. If you remember, in Luke chapter eight, we're beginning. We're beginning the second section of of Jesus' public ministry. And in Luke chapter eight. Jesus introduces parable, parabolic teachings, teaching in parables, and his his disciples ask him, "Why are you doing this?" He gives them a proverb very similar to the one we just heard. Look at verse sixteen of chapter eight. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret. Will not come, not be known, and come to light. Take care then how you hear. Here we're looking at take care then or beware how you see. Take care then how you hear. This all links back to Jesus' ultimate warning when he cited Isaiah chapter six. Look back in verse nine and ten of chapter eight. He speaks in parables. Parables get introduced. The parable of the sowers. Disciples asked him what the parable meant, and in verse ten he said to them, "To you it has been given to know." the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. Why? And then here's the Isaiah 6 reference. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The problem of seeing. The problem of hearing. And from chapter 8 through just until last week, we've been primarily been using the metaphor of hearing. So even in the parable of the sower, they are those who hear the Word. Every soil has heard the Word. Verse 21 of chapter 8, Who is my mother and my brother are those who hear the Word of God and do it. And even two weeks ago, the woman who cried out, Blessed is the womb that bore you, back in chapter 11, and blessed is the breast at which you nursed. He said, Blessed rather those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the other metaphor Jesus gave. Seeing. Both are very helpful ways of thinking about how we approach truth. Seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. And I know this passage is is short, and it can even be somewhat confusing. I hope as you look at it, one thing is obvious. The dominant topic of this discussion is light and sight. Can't miss it. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, basket, but on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Be careful, therefore, lest the light in you be darkness. But if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Whatever this is talking about, we're talking about light, Darkness, sight, and blindness. And it's short, and yet I think it's profound. I was looking this over with Mark Sullivan at our men's group on Monday, and he said, Jeremy, I don't know how you're going to talk for more than five minutes on this. Well, Mark, set your clock. Let's dive in. (laughs) Beware then how you see. Point number one, verse 33. And what Jesus begins with is an axiom, a self evident principle. This is less teaching and more stating the obvious. And what he says is this, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. This just should be pretty obvious. The point here we're looking at is the purpose of light. The purpose of light. If you go and get a lamp, you don't say, okay, honey, could you please go get the lamp? And then she comes and gets the lamp and you light the lamp and you turn it on and then you quickly put a trash can over it. No one does that light and the cultivation of light exists point a to guide with light or to reveal with light even back in chapter 8 in the similar saying of Jesus he said clearly nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light the notion of light is that which reveals That which takes what is dark and hard to see and understand and makes it clear. It guides. It reveals. It illuminates. It helps you understand. And that's what we're talking about with light. This metaphor of light. Understanding. Seeing. Knowing. Revealing. Lamps. Guide. And this ties ultimately back to the Messiah's purpose. Back in chapter 1, verse 78, you don't need to turn there, but Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, after he's he's able to speak again, because he he responded in faith, begins to prophesy over his son and over the other child who his son would, would be the forerunner of, and he says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 78 to 79, speaking of this Messiah, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Messiah is going to give light which will enable guidance for people sitting in darkness. And in chapter 2, 31-32, again speaking of Jesus prophetically, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory your people Israel. So in Luke's context, light is is that which reveals. We're talking about information and understanding and sight and guidance. It's all bound up in in the purpose of light. And so in Jesus' metaphor, in the same way that you don't take lamps and cover them up, you you let them shine so people can see. The purpose of truth and and Jesus' light is to reveal. Which is to say in point B, what Jesus is saying by stating this self-evident axiom that Jesus has not hidden His light. The logic works this way. There are people saying, give us another sign. And presumably, what they're saying is, well, Jesus, you've made a kind of a good showing so far, but really, you haven't quite done enough to prove to us who you are. Which is ridiculous. And let's just rehearse some of the miracles that have already come in Luke's Gospel. He has raised not one, but two people from the dead. He has fed over 5,000. He has cleansed a leper by touching him. He has had a paralytic get up and walk. Jesus has done numerous miracles and signs. Yet these people have the audacity to keep seeking a sign from heaven. And the implication of, of what they might be saying is this. Jesus, ultimately, it's your fault. We don't believe in you. Jesus, you simply haven't proven your case. You haven't given us compelling evidence. If you did, we would believe, but you haven't. And so, why don't you give us a sign from heaven that we might believe? As we saw last week, Pastor, not Pastor Greg Rolak showed us last week. Ultimately, such an attitude will never be convinced. You remember those people? That, what happened to the, the thousands that were fed by Jesus in John chapter 6? The very next day, they follow Him around the lake. And they say, what are the works of God? He says, the works of God are to believe. They say, what sign will you do that we may believe? I saw you guys yesterday. And then they give Jesus a hint. Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. You know, Jesus, that bread thing you did yesterday, that was really good. Hint, hint, hint. But Jesus is making it clear. He has not hidden His light. He has publicly and clearly demonstrated who he is. If there's a problem of their receiving who He is, it does not lie on His insufficient proof, His insufficient demonstration. Jesus has come as light. He's come to reveal light to the Gentiles. He's come that those who sit in darkness may see, and He has done that clearly. He has done that publicly. That's point one here. He has taught and worked miracles publicly all over the place. Repeatedly. At great length. If you remember in In Capernaum, he stayed there from the time of sundown after the Sabbath ended until all of their sick and all of their disease were brought to them. And he waited patiently. that, That must have taken hours. And he healed every one of them. This has been seen publicly, verified publicly over a large geographic area. He has not hidden his light. He has taught and worked miracles publicly which then really brings the implied argument of what he says here. What, what's his point in saying no one after lighting a lamp puts it in the cellar under a basket but on a stand so that those who may see it? What he's really saying is this. This generation, you, and you and I, we do not see him as who he is, are responsible for their unbelief. That's what he's saying. They are responsible for their unbelief. There can be no argument Jesus has simply not sufficiently proven his case. No, if, if, if you don't believe, if I don't believe, if they don't believe, we are responsible. They are responsible for their unbelief. And to make this point, keep your finger here, turn to John chapter 12. So remember, this is, this is building upon that citation of Isaiah 6. Remember, they have eyes, but do not see, and ears, do not hear. And Jesus said in John 8, I'm teaching in parables as a judgment, as much as I'm trying to reveal truth to those with eyes that see and ears that hear. I'm also trying to hide truth from those who are deaf. And in John chapter 12, the same language, the same reference to Isaiah 6, I think makes this clear. Look at John chapter 12, verse 35. So, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Now, Jesus is the light. He's saying, I'm I'm going to be with you a little while longer. While you can see, walk. Lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. You may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from the man. He was not kidding that the light was not going to be around them much longer. And look at this terrible and terrifying conclusion statement of John. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled Lord, Who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That's the point. Jesus is light. His teaching is light. He is light. He's revealing, giving understanding both in His signs and miracles and in His teaching. Just just broadcasting light in every direction like the sun rise from on high. And these people have the audacity to say, just, just do another big miracle. Then we'll believe. No, no, I'm not going to do any more big miracles. We saw that last week. And if you're going to get preaching from now on, if it was good enough for Nineveh, it'll be good enough for you. And I have not hidden who I am, Jesus is saying. If you don't believe who I am, if you do not receive Me, the fault lies in you. They are responsible for their unbelief. Which brings him to a second axiom or truism. You see, there's two components with sight that are necessary. One, you need illumination in the room. It doesn't matter if you have the, the best eagle eyes, 2020 vision. The room's darkened. You can't see. That's, that's true enough. That's fair enough. Jesus says that's not the problem. There's another thing, however, that can interfere with sight, and that is we see the problem with sight itself. You can have the most well-lit room, but if someone can't see, it's not going to matter. Right? Jesus now turns, as we examine the problem, why is this generation not believed in Jesus? Why is this generation grumbling? Why are they evil? It's not for lack of light. Perhaps it's a problem with sight. The problem with sight. And Jesus says in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When you're, when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now Jesus, in the first statement, your eye is the lamp of your body, is stating something self-evident to them. Now, your eye is not a lamp, but neither is it a window. These are metaphorical ways of speaking and And whereas we customarily understand scientifically and accurately that the eye receives light, it's a receiver, it's more of a window, and then it helps your brain construct an image. Uh, There's another equally, I think, valid way and a biblical way of thinking of it, which is, and this is demonstrated in in the Old Testament and in the the Jews of Jesus' time, that the eye, in another sense, can reach out. We talk about setting your gaze on something, right? And the Jews understood that where you set your gaze and what you looked at and how you looked at it had ethical implications. Let me just give you a couple texts. Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Or listen to to Psalm 2. Oh, where is it? There it is. 34.5 Those who look at Him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Or 27.4 Get the comparison between Psalm 27.4 and Habakkuk 2.15. Psalm 27.4 One thing I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord always all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in His temple. Now that is a... Ethically righteous way to look, to desire, to see. I want to gaze on the Lord. And in contrast to that, Habakkuk 2.15, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink to pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze on their nakedness. There are other people, they, they want to gaze at something else. This is why Job can say in Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze on a virgin? So, What Jesus is saying, your light is a lamp. Is There's also a way of thinking of your eye as something that reaches out. And it can reach out and it has ethical implications. So David wants to gaze on the Lord. And Habakkuk warns of people who want to get others drunk so they can gaze on their nakedness. And Jesus is saying what you look at, how you look at things matters. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Which is to say, point A, proper sight is necessary to behold light. Proper sight is necessary to behold light. In fact, was people would, would grow old and their eyes would fail. The way the Old Testament writers would speak of it is the lamp of their eye grew dim. So Genesis 27.1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, the picture is that they're not able to reach out very well and penetrate just a metaphorical way of looking at eyesight. Likewise, in comparison, Moses, Deuteronomy thirty-four, seven, was 120 years when he died. His eyes were undimmed, his vigor unabated. So Jesus is using this common Old Testament way of thinking of sight, and what he wants to point is, how are you guys looking at me? With what attitude are you looking at me? Or, to put it another way, how can you be sure that you're seeing things rightly? You need light, to light up a room, but you also need sight. Which brings us to the next point, B. A sincere eye fills the body with light. Now at this point, I find almost all the translations unhelpful. Um, Sorry. Young's, Young's literal translation nails this, and that's about it. Literally, it's just a simple eye, or a sincere eye. And the contrast is not bad, but evil. Paneros, the exact same word used back up in verse 29. This generation is an evil generation. And you miss that link between the sincere or simple eye and the evil eye linking back to the evil generation. It's unhelpful. They, they, They get so caught up in the imagery, they want to make, okay, it's healthy and it's unhealthy. No, it's sincere or it's evil because we're still talking about evil people and why these evil generation might misconstrue who Jesus is. So, a sincere or a simple eye fills the body with light. Here, what's what's this saying? If if your eye, if you're looking at things without a bias, if you're looking at things without an agenda, if you're looking at things honestly, sincerely, it's not complicated just want to see what's there. Then you're going to see things rightly. Jesus says this promise in John 7.17. Similar type of concept. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. What Jesus is saying is this. If you're trying to size me up and the only real question you're trying to ask is this. I want to obey God. Is this the one I should listen to? If that's all you're asking, you will know. You will know, Jesus says. A sincere or a simple eye fills the body with light. If you're looking at Jesus honestly, without an agenda, without knowing what you want the answer to be, you will know. It's not complicated. It just, it's, it's actually simple. A simple, a sincere, an unbiased, a genuine look at Jesus. He's glory. glory sees beauty, sees light. But the problem is also, point C, an evil eye fills the body with darkness. And again, why I find it incredibly unhelpful that all, just about all the translations go with unhealthy or bad or something. But the concept of the evil eye is, is an Old Testament example. The Jews would be familiar with it. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. Deuteronomy 15.9, warning the Jews about the year of Jubilee. Because in the year of Jubilee, debts are canceled, slaves are let free, the land reverts back to its original owners. Let me read to you literally what Deuteronomy 15.9 says. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and you look with an evil eye on your brother. ESV translates that you look grudgingly on your brother. But you look at him with an evil eye, evil intent. You give Him nothing. Well, Proverbs 23.6, again, I'll read it to you literally. Do not eat the bread of a man with an evil eye. Which they translate, a stingy man. What's the concept? He's, he's got motives. He's offering you food, but He doesn't want you to eat it. He's stingy. He's doing it because it's a formality. He's doing it because custom requires you do it. But He doesn't want you to take it. It's not sincere. It's not genuine. Is an evil eye. Proverbs 28 22, a stingy man, literally a man with an evil eye, hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. So when Jesus warns them of their eye being evil, these Jews who would know their Old Testament would link it to all these passages. They understand the way you look at things has ethical implications. Sight can be a moral category. And so there's a, there's a corrupt person who, who offers you food, he doesn't want you to take it. He's just doing it because as a host he has to. Let me give you another example of this. You remember after David defeats Goliath, the first hit single in the Bible comes up and they write this song that David that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is everywhere David goes. In fact, when David finally shows up and runs to the Philistines. The, is this the, like it got over there too. It was on the charts. It was popular. And... Listen to this. First Samuel 18.9. What happens? How does Saul respond? After this, Saul eyed David from that day on. What does that mean? He looked at him suspiciously. He began to read all sorts of evil motives into David. He began paranoid. He's no longer looking at David, sizing him honestly and sincerely. His own bias His own wickedness is filtering and interpreting what he's seeing. So he sees a young man who's trying to take the kingdom away from me. I've got to kill him. He eyed David from that day on. So what Jesus is saying is, there's another reason why you might misunderstand who I am. It might be because your eye is evil is you're corrupting what you're seeing. You know, I was talking to Pastor Daniel about this earlier this week and to mix the metaphor it'd be something like this. It'd be like having a vat of pristine, pure, cool drinking water. And these people are so covered in filth and dirt and dung, disease, that when they come and they dip their hands in the water and bring it up to their mouth, All that's on their hands corrupts the water and they take a sip and they spit it out. This water is disgusting! No, you are. And your corruption has corrupted this. The evil eye fills the body with darkness. If they're looking at Jesus evilly, with motives, which is what we learn, they don't want Jesus to expose their sin. They don't want Jesus to reveal what they're really like then that's going to fill them with darkness, which is a picture of, of of lies, deception, ignorance, not knowing the truth. Which then ultimately, this is set up for Jesus' warning. There's only one command. There's only one warning in this passage. So far, Jesus has simply been saying what is. Now, you and I... I have a word from the Lord, a command, an imperative. Verse 35, because this is the case, because Jesus is saying, I have not hidden my light, because I have not put it under a bushel, but I've been shining brightly, but also because the state of your eye, state of your heart, seeing through that eye, will very much determine what you see and how you see because of those truths. Therefore, verse 35, be careful, be alert lest the light in you be darkness. What's he saying there? How is light darkness? Dark light? That doesn't make any sense. Here's what he's saying. Here's your blank. Beware of self-deception. Here's the concept. Beware that the thing that you think is light isn't, in fact, darkness. See, Most of us are very good at deceiving ourselves, and very few of us are self-aware enough to know when we are looking at things with bias, when we're looking at things with evil motives. Most of us will insist, no, no, I'm being quite genuine, I'm being quite open, I'm, I'm evaluating this honestly, sincerely. And we're not. The danger of thinking that you can see you cannot see this is, this is the danger Jesus answered of self-deception when he first encountered the Pharisees and rebuked them. Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees didn't think they were sick. They thought they were righteous. They thought they could see in John 9:41, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees again. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They believe they can see. So Jesus, here's the warning. Here's what I want us to get this morning. There is a danger of thinking you're sitting in a neutral, an unbiased place, and you're sizing up God and His Word, and you're looking at this and there's a danger however that you're doing that in darkness and blindness not because this book is dark but because your eyes are blinded. Turn turn to Romans chapter 1. I think we see this this principle laid out most clearly there in Romans chapter 1. Again and again and again I return to this passage because it is so foundational and fundamental on God declaring the state of each and every one of us apart from grace. This is what God says about your neighbor, about your co-workers, about the nice little old lady down the street. Everyone who has not been taken captive by God's Word and His Spirit. This is how you and I came into this world. As Paul, unpacking the Gospel, would speak of God's... Grace and forgiveness being revealed. He starts with God's anger. And what is God angry at? Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? The truth of who God is, the truth of what he's like. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, get that, you have never met a person who doesn't know God. That's what God says. That's why I'm an atheist. Ah, ah, I don't believe in atheists. I believe people convince themselves over practice that there is no God. I believe that people close their eyes long enough convince themselves they can't see. But here, what does God say? Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Now look at this. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became foolish. The great irony, they congratulate themselves on their insight and their understanding. They congratulate themselves on their wisdom in the very act of becoming blind and foolish. Foolish. Likewise today, people congratulate themselves on their wisdom. I didn't get fooled by the Bible. You're not going to take me in with that stuff. And, and we're blind. And Jesus is warning of that danger, of that self-deception. Not only are they foolish and blind, they think they see. They think they're wise. This is why people reject the Gospel. This is why people don't come to Christ. Like I said before, you can't be too foolish, too weak for Jesus. Sadly, you can be too strong, too wise for Christ. Beware self-deception. Beware this self-deception. Now, one of the things that's striking here, if you turn back to, to Luke 11, that in Luke 8, when Jesus first invoked this first picture of seeing and hearing, comparing the people the idolaters of Isaiah's day. In chapter 8, as Jesus is ministering up in Galilee, it's a judgment. Right? I'm speaking in parables, in some aspect, to hide truth. And yet, Jesus does not pronounce that judgment on these people here. This warning implies it's not too late. Remember when we read John 12? It said, therefore, they could not believe. Here's the point. If you will not see and you will not see, there will come a point where God judicially judges and hardens you and you cannot see any longer. And apparently, these people, this generation, had not yet reached that point. He's warning them. He's calling on them, be careful, examine yourself. Stop looking at me. Stop trying to size me up for a moment. And look at your own heart. He's saying, are you sincere? Are you, are you coming at me in the simplicity of just, I want to see, are you the Messiah from God or should we look for another? So, what's, what's, the, what's the action step here? If you think that you may be under this self-deception, you must repent before it is too late. Why did I pick that word repent? Turn, turn to Acts 26. Same author, Luke. At the very end of Acts, the Apostle Paul is giving the testimony of his commission by Jesus, his encounter with the risen Lord on the Damascus Road. In Acts 26, we read this. Before Agrippa. Agrippa. let's pick it back up at verse uh, 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He's, he's, He's recounting the vision of Christ that blinded him so that he could see. And the risen Lord says to him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, why is God sending Paul to the Gentiles? To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of God to Satan, that they may receive forgiveness of sins the place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's ministry could rightly be summed up. What, Paul, what do you do? I, I, I call, I plead, I beg. I preach that people might turn from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to God, they might be forgiven to open their eyes. How does Paul carry out that commission? Verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but first declared to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. How do, how do you deal with blindness? If blindness is an ethical category, if the way you look at, the way you size up, and what you look at is an ethical issue. And if you realize you have a problem with your sight, you do when you've got sin. You repent, you confess, you recognize that. And, you, and then you look to Jesus and you trust Him. There's, there's a danger for us as well who are believers. You know, if, if everyone who's an unbeliever has this problem, everyone who's an unbeliever is blinded, according to 2 Corinthians 4. Um, our Gospel, Paul insists, is not veiled. Just as Jesus wasn't veiling Himself, so Paul says His Gospel wasn't veiled. But in the case of those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light, the Gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? That's why people perish. They're blinded. They don't see. They look. They look at Jesus, they look at His Word, and they see something ugly and unattractive. It's because they have the veil. The danger for us can also be that we, if we come to God's Word, even as believers, we, we, you, can, you can read the Bible and justify yourself. You can open up the Bible and, and prove the point you want to make and twist the Scripture. And why I started this message at the very beginning with the warning and the prayer that we would come sincerely is we can do the same thing. David cries out that God would open his eyes to behold wondrous things in His Word. And every time we come to God's Word, we need to recognize the potential possibility exists that if we come with an evil eye, you know know what that's like. I want to do what I want to do. I just got to find a verse that will let me do it. Right? Or am I the only one who's who's ever done that? Um, And you you come not sincerely to God's Word. You can be self-deceived. And when we do that, we need to repent. So whether you're here today as someone who has never seen anything beautiful in Jesus, you know some relative dragged you here or thought you'd check it out, and 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 this Jesus whom you're hearing about in Luke's gospel is unattractive to you. Be assured, it is not because Jesus is unattractive. It's not because the gospel is not glorious. It's not because God has not given sufficient light. It's because you're blind. You're blind because your eye is evil. Because. Let's face it, we don't want a ruler. We don't want a Lord and a sovereign. We want to do what we want to do. And we have built in bias. And so Paul says in Romans, when we suppress the truth, they come up with all sorts of reasons and excuses. But rest assured, if you will, if you have come to realize that you are a sinner in need of a savior, if you have come to realize that it is a fearful thing to know with certainty, you will stand before the living God and give an account for the life you have lived. If you're saying, I remember this is I remember praying this prayer back in the summer of nineteen ninety-nine. the Lord had shown me just how lost I was. I'm reading my Bible, Lord, is this where you've revealed yourself, or should I look somewhere else? Jesus promises in John seven seventeen, if anyone's will is to do God's will, He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking my own authority likewise, if, if you're coming to God's Word with wrong motives, don't be surprised if that sin doesn't pervert what you see in the text. I want to move on from the peril of light, the encouraging promise of sight. The promise of sight. This, this four-verse chunk ends on a positive note. As much as the only command is that we examine ourselves, we be careful that we're not deceived, thinking that we have light when we're really darkness. He ends with this wonderful promise. Look at verse 36. It's, it's worth your time examining yourself to make sure that what you think is light is light in you. Because if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, what? It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Promise of sight. What's Jesus saying? All who truly see Jesus, who sincerely see Jesus, are filled with light. Notice the totality of the language. Your whole body is full of light, having no heart dark. It will be wholly bright. You notice the limitless nature here of what Jesus is saying. This promise isn't a little promise, it's a big promise. Total light. Total brightness, total sight. All who see Jesus are filled with light. That was, after all, what he came to do. Remember Ze- Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, prophesying the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. That he has prepared for his people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people. That's how we're saved, seeing Jesus' light. Turn turn as we close to 2 Corinthians 4. That's how we're saved and that's how we're sanctified. By seeing glory in Jesus. I've said this before. What you see when you look at the Gospel, when you look at God's Word, is critical. And And I confess, there are days I read my Bible and it bores me. But I have to recognize that when I read my Bible and it bores me, it speaks more of the condition of my eye that day than it does anything about the radiance of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul dealing with sort of the same objection that Jesus is dealing with here. It's not that Jesus wasn't bright and shining, and it's not that the gospel isn't bright and shining. Verse 3. Even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ. It is the image of God. And look at verse 6, how that gets remedied. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. To give the light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You're a Christian today. That's, that's how you became a Christian. God said to your dark heart, let there be light. The veil was removed. And you saw Jesus and all of His glory and His splendor. And you saw the Gospel. And, and, and you could not help but to be, reach out in faith and to trust Him from all else and you were saved I look back in chapter 3 verse 18 Well, let's actually go further back in 18 um, verse 14 oh go back to 12 <laughs> who am I kidding since we have this hope we're very bold not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. So you can read God's Word and be veiled and not see glory, not see anything attractive, not see anything beautiful. That veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day when Moses' red veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, And we All with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do you you grow in Christ? How do you get sanctified? How do you become a more faithful husband, more faithful wife, more faithful son, daughter? You need to see glory. You need to see the glory of the Lord. You need eyes that see. This is critical absolutely critical the health of your eyes so that you can see the glory of god in his word and seeing that you can be changed conformed because as jesus says back in our text all who truly see him are filled with light not only that but they themselves will shine forth they themselves will shine forth it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light that's the other thing that starts to happen. As you become and resemble more and more Jesus, guess what? You start to shine in a peculiar way as well. And Jesus' followers would give light. That's why Paul the Apostle could say, what do I do? I'm here to give light and turn the eyes of the Gentiles to see light. I'll just close with this passage from Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that it did not run in vain or labor in vain. There's nothing more important, nothing more critical than beware how you see. If you're willing to come to Christ and His word sincerely, with a genuine heart, God has spoken light into. There's no limit to how much beauty and glory you can see. There's no limit to how much beauty and glory you can reflect. If you come with an evil eye, twisted motives, an agenda, you will not see anything beautiful. You will not see anything wonderful. You will not be changed. Beware then how you see. Let's pray. Lord God, pray that you would give us those eyes to see. You'd give us ears to hear. That by Your Spirit, You would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in Your Word. But let us heed this warning. If we are self-deceived, if we are not even aware of our own agenda and motives, You would reveal that to us so that we could repent and we could turn and look afresh at Christ and His Word. We might behold His glory. We might receive the light that is life that seeing that light, we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed.